Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, guys, and welcome to Dynamic Word Bible Studies, Season 2. Season 2. Season 2, this is your host, Felicia DeRosier, and my amazing, miraculous, wonderful co-host, Cross. And Cross is joining us this season. Um, Pongo. <laughs> we do have Pongo here, hopefully no barking. And... Uh, yeah, and so for those of you who have been following us for a while, you'll notice the absence of my daughter Mariah. She has had some ministry opportunities open up to her that um, I guess Ponga wanted to make sure he said hello. Yeah, Ponga's not happy about being <laughs> all the time, as you can tell. Apparently not. She uh, has had some ministry opportunities open up to her, so she's not as available to do the show this season, so we will miss her. Also, we are just recovering from a season of illness, so I might cough now and again, but we're going to push on and do the show anyway. So right now, uh, you guys know the drill. We're thankful that you're here. We're getting ready to move into our Bible study, Journey Through the Gospel of John. John. I'm so excited about this one. So, But uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and cut to commercial break so we can fulfill our obligations to the station. We'll see you guys soon. Hi, Captain. We all know that times are tough and things are really expensive right now. So why not save a little bit of your wallet as well as the landfill? Marty.com carries high-quality products at low, low prices, sometimes up to 70% off of retail. I just got a wonderful package of beef jerky for one cent sent to my house through Marty.com. Marty.com offers high-quality products at discount prices. Why? Well, sometimes products are seasonal or overstocked or packaging just changes. It's still great quality food, but it's going to end up in the landfill if we don't find some way to distribute it. And leave that to Marty.com. Now, if you want to save a little extra today, you can get $20 off your first order by going to our Facebook group for Dynamic Word Bible Studies and picking up a discount code there. So check out Dynamic Word Bible Studies at Facebook and find Marty.com on our comments. You'll be able to get this free discount code. It's going to give you $20 off, and it's also a great way to support our show and to keep those landfills light, and to save some money in your wallet. And I'm all about saving money. So check out Marty.com. You know what I think we should do? I think you should join us for Dynamic Word Bible Studies, where I am always hosting. My name is Felicia DeRosier, and I have two amazing co-hosts. Cross, the favorite. You wish. This is Mariah, the real favorite child. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time learning about the Bible and possibly a little time learning about humility. That would be awesome, right? Yeah, Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> we air live every Wednesday from 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to 1030. Uh, right now we're going through the Book of Romans, but we're going to start moving into the Gospel of John. We're going to learn about Jesus. We're going to learn about living and walking in the Spirit and learning to be a little humble with those that we live with. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait for you to join us. Right, guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Woo! <laughs> 
That's right. The Jokers and Jesters Comedy Tour is back on the road. We are currently promoting our second Amazon Prime special, Jokers and Jesters, the next special. We will be touring small towns across this great country of ours. So for our tour dates, follow us on Facebook at Jokers and Jester Comedy Tour or at our website, jokersandjester.com. It's a great night of music, laughter, and magic. Don't miss us as we come to a small town near you. Well, that commercial will wake you up. Yes. <laughs> I love it. You the screaming and the, the, the screaming. Woo! All right. So we are getting ready to get started on a survey of the Gospel of John. And so normally we have a guest, right? Um, normally we have a guest to come on. Apparently, Pongo would like to be the guest today. Um, but not so. That can't happen. We can't have the dog whining through the whole podcast. So, um, But ordinarily, we'll have a guest. But because we are just starting in a new book, instead, I think it's really important that we take some time to learn more about the book we're about to study. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so let's, let's talk about this. Uh, who wrote it? Who wrote the Gospel, John? Probably John, but some people think Matthew wrote it. Some people think Matthew. <laughs> some people think. <laughs> no, no, I don't think anybody. So, so there is some um, with any of these historical books. Okay, it's not like I can just go to the, you know, title page, and all the publication information is on there, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> So because of that, there is some discrepancy. Some people think John wrote it. Some people will think other people wrote it. Some people will date it differently. So a lot of this stuff that's coming is, my opinion, based on what I've researched. But there are two Johns, so some people are, like, leaning one way and leaning towards the other. Right, right, right. But I think that most people are in broad agreement that it was John the Apostle. Yeah, because uh, John the Baptist, like, died before. Well, and there's, there's another, there's, a, there's another, there's another John later on in history that they think could have possibly been the author um, if, if they're deciding to, to date it late. And there are reasons why people date it late. I just don't agree with them all. Um, so uh, we're going to go with John the Apostle who lived from 1180 to 9980. Okay. So he was born just after Jesus. And he is famously one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the twelve. And um, the favorite. I mean, just if you ask me. him, he'll tell you he was the favorite. He's the favorite, just like me. I was about to say, you must really love him because he has the same attitude of his apostleship as you have of my sonship, right? Uh, yes, is that the So uh, he was thoroughly convinced that he was the favorite, right? And he was one of the inner three. So uh, what this means is... The inner three were Peter, James, and John. Right. So it's going to diverge a little bit from probably at least Matthew's account because John was able to eyewitness certain things that Matthew did not, right? Um, So he was one of the inner three. He was present for a lot of extraordinary miracles and some intimate moments with Jesus 
in his ministry and life, he refers to himself throughout his gospel in a very specific way. Uh, gotta love the God. apostles Jesus loves. Right. <laughs> so um, I, someday in heaven, I can't wait to meet this guy because um, I think me and you would get along really great. He's he's a little bit he's a little younger than the other apostles, and he's um. He's kind of funny. Like, you know, he has he has a tendency to um, poke fun at some of the other apostles. Hey, hey, I'm favorite. Right? I'm the favorite. I'm the fastest. Like, all the things. So, um, yeah, really, really fun um, to read his account. <coughs> so, when was it written? This is a big deal because... Obviously, John lived longer than the other disciples, right? He's the only one who wasn't martyred. They tried to martyr him. Mm-hmm. They just failed. They tried to boil him in a pot of oil, but it didn't work. So he I lived. Wonder, like, how bad you know, <laughs> soldiers have to be to screw that up? I, I mean, I don't think that they have to be particularly bad if God wants them to live through it. You know? But um just like a hot tub doing this ugh. Right. So so the dating on this book can really range. Um some some people will think that it's extremely late and the reason they give it an extremely late uh date is because it He was exiled. He was island. he was exiled to Patmos. Um, later on in life. That's where he wrote Revelation. Right. Okay. Some people are like, oh, he must have had a lot of time on that Right, island. he probably had a lot of time on his hands. I actually disagree with that thought. Um, so, I'm like, bro, he's old. Like, he can remember all that. Right, right. So, so you know, um, again, some people don't even think that it was the Apostle John that wrote it. If they don't think that, then sometimes they think that it was written sometime in the second century. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Apostle John. Um, just kind of seems like it based on what's going on in the text. Um, but I would actually argue for very early dating. Um, I think so people will say that it was written anywhere from 70 to 95 AD. And I'm kind of leaning towards 70 AD. Okay. Um, and, and there's uh, some particular reasons why. First of all, we know that it was written after the three synoptic gospels, uh, those being Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. So if you've ever read the gospels, if you've read any of the accounts, if you've read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you're going to find they're all really similar, right? But Matthew was probably written, like, while he was traveling around with Jesus, right? Uh, I don't know about that, but it was certainly the, the earliest of the gospels to come out. Uh-huh. Um, his account was was certainly one of the earlier ones. Um, so Luke wasn't actually a disciple. His stories were told to him by Peter, who uh, no, by no, Paul, by Paul, who was told by Peter. Right. So so there's this great meeting of the minds uh, between John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, <laughs> Peter, Andrew, like, they all kind of get together in Rome, and Paul talks to them to make sure that the gospel message that he is sharing is accurate. Uh, in, in very typical Paul fashion, 
the text comes from him, but he doesn't actually write it down himself. Luke is operating as a scribe and helping him to research these things. And so it is the Gospel of Luke. Checking on him. Right, right. It's, it's the Gospel of Luke. Um, but really is going to be very reflective of Paul's perspective. Mark um, was a disciple of Peter. Right. So all these are really eyewitness accounts. It's just these guys aren't picking up their own pens, right? And let's let's just remember that um, not everyone could write in the ancient world, and even those who could, Paul, for example, may have been too busy to sit down and write the account himself. Um, and therefore, we're getting firsthand accounts, but they're being written by someone else on behalf of the person who's the eyewitness. Uh, the Gospel of John, um, so it's going to be really different from these three synoptic Gospels. Do you ever wonder why? I always wondered why. They can't see you nod your head, remember? Um, so I always wondered why. Um and uh, there, there are actually some really good reasons. So, um, but let's just talk a little bit again about this dating thing. So why I think it's earlier rather than later. Um, because I feel like it matters. Um, you have a lot of people out there who will try to discredit the Gospel of John, saying that it was written later, that it wasn't written by John himself, um, or that the fact that it doesn't directly parallel the Synoptic Gospels there was no one else on that island. Well, I don't think that he wrote it on Patmos, to be honest. True. There, there were other people there, I'm sure, but, but to the point, I do not believe that he wrote it on Patmos. And, and I'll explain why. Okay? Um, so John, he writes his gospel in a way that kind of assumes that you have some familiarity with the synoptic gospels. Okay? So, for example, when he introduces the 12 apostles, um, and when he starts introducing who these characters are, he doesn't spend a lot of time telling you, like, who Peter was or who Andrew was or who the 12 were. He's assuming you already know that, okay, which uh, to, to me leads, lends really well to the whole this is kind of written in addition to the other Gospels. Um, we are aware that you're familiar with it. He doesn't mention Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, now, this is really interesting because it's mentioned in all the Synoptic Gospels. Well, the temple's actually destroyed in 70 AD. So, most people think that that is an indication that the destruction of the temple's already happened, that prophecy's already been fulfilled. So there's no longer a good reason to include the prophecy in the text. It's already been done. Already happened. It's already been fulfilled. And again, you already have that gospel, so you're aware of that situation. Um, so we kind of presume that that's already happened. Um, when he's talking about uh, the apostles and the disciples, he uses all the antiquated words. Okay. So we see in Acts, which of course is Luke second book that he writes, right? He First he writes the Gospel of Luke, and then okay. he moves into Acts Which is of like the Apostles. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a continuation of the story, right? Um, and Acts details, yes, it details 
the activities of the early church. Uh, and so because... And the prosecution. Persecution, not prosecution. Persecution. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so because of um, the fact that, so for example, in Acts of the Apostles, what do they call the disciples? Apostles, right? Well, that word wasn't around before that book was written. Right. Right? It wasn't in common use. They would call them the disciples. Because the difference is um, the apostles are the church planters, right? But before they were church planters, they were just Jesus' disciples. And um, so John doesn't call them apostles. He calls them the disciples, possibly because of the role that they're functioning in in the book, but also possibly because that just wasn't a term that was broadly in use at the time. Um, he also refers to the Pool of Bethesda. You're familiar with uh, what happens at the Pool of Bethesda. Um, and he refers to it in present tense, okay? He starts talking about how there is a pool at Bethesda. Um, that, that pool was destroyed late in 70 AD. So yeah, he wasn't there at the time, okay? But you would think that he would have heard of the destruction of the Pool of Bethesda so he would have said there was a pool of Siddha, not there is, right? Um, also, the fact that he doesn't describe anything of what actually goes down there. You have to kind of, like, dig into history to figure out, like, the stirring up the waters and, and what the belief was surrounding that. He doesn't give a lot of background on that. So it seems like that's contemporary information, stuff that's going on, which is kind of why I land at probably 70 A.D., as a good time frame for the writing of this book. The pool is a very weird thing. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, like, hey, do a cannonball, you get your <laughs> Right, right. There, um, well, it was, it was uh, not not necessarily a Jewish thing. It's just, this was a uh, pagan type of a ritual. So, um, also, there have been uh, some very early manuscripts um, which would indicate an early publication date. Um, now, I uh, personally think, remember you said what well, was written on the island of Patmos. So, so John gets exiled to the island of Patmos in 70. So part of the reason why I'm citing 70 AD is because of where I believe it was written. Okay. So um, if you want to open up your Bible really quick, um, we're actually going to find out why John wrote the gospel. He explains it in John chapter 20, verse 31. <laughs> Pardon me, guys. What? Verse what? 31. John 20, verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so that's interesting because they already have the gospel, right? So people would believe. So why would he have written it for that purpose? Well, we actually have some ancient sources, some evidence that indicate that while John, who was at this point an old man, like, you know, he's in his 60s, right? Okay, if my dating is correct, he's at least 60, okay? Um and he's living in Ephesus uh, during the time. 
okay? Um, and it, it, it seems to be indicated through these ancient sources that the church leaders in Asia asked him to write a more spiritual-focused gospel, okay? So why? Well, let's talk a little bit about the church in Ephesus. What do we know about the church of Ephesus offhand? That is the church, and it was in Ephesus. It was a church. It was in Ephesus. It was established uh, by an apostle. Which one? Do you know? John. Paul, actually. Paul, yeah. Yeah, Apostle Paul establishes the church in Ephesus um, and eventually turns over the um, pastoring of the church of Ephesus to Timothy. So we actually have a ton of information on this ancient church in Ephesus because of all the correspondence. We have Ephesians. Oh. which was a letter written to the church in Ephesus. We also have First and Second Timothy. Where he's talking about pastoring Ephesus. Where he's talking about pastoring Ephesus. <laughs> so we have all sorts of information on, on the church in Ephesus. And one of the problems facing the church in Ephesus was um, some heresy that is being spread around about Jesus. The heresy was being taught by a man called Serenesis, and he is mentioned in all these books. But the heresy that's being spread is that Jesus was a good man and a prophet, but not God. <coughs> so it seems that the church leaders in Asia, where this heresy is being spread, come to uh, the Apostle John, and they say, John, we need your help. You were there. You knew Jesus. You got to set the record straight. Was this was this guy God, or was he just a prophet? Didn't really know Jesus. He just knew people who knew Jesus. <laughs> no, John did. So, oh, oh, so you still talking about Right. Jesus. So this is why, so, so Paul's gospel's already been recorded through Luke. It's very parallel to the Synoptic Gospels. And um, because of Jewish culture, if you were Jewish, you would have understood that Jesus was claiming to be God through these Gospels. Um, But for this community in Asia, it wasn't spelled out clear enough for them them to really follow that Jesus was God. And so they kind of go to John and say, John, we need you to write this Gospel that makes it clear as day who Jesus was. And that's kind of where we leap into uh, what is the Gospel of John, where he includes um, not just miracles, but miracles that are really targeted at showing you the deity of Christ. Um, Now, of course, you've got this guy's entire life, right? Three years on the road in ministry. You couldn't possibly record every word that he said and every deed that he did, no matter how many Gospels you wrote. So... Um, so this gospel is really, really different. Um, and I think that the message of the gospel of John is still super relevant today because we often hear people say that Jesus was a good man mm-hmm. or a great teacher, or even some people will call him a prophet, but not God. Okay? And so, <coughs> pardon me. So the gospel of John is John the Apostle's appeal to the world to the identity of who this Jesus, who loved him so much, really, really was. 
Um, and I'm really excited to kind of deep dive into it. So we're going to turn to these pages of this eyewitness account, persuading us to accept the uniqueness of the person of Jesus Christ as both fully man and fully God, not just the Messiah, um, but clear as day for those of us with um, more Western eyes and ears, right? Because uh, it was written for an audience just like us. It was written for a more Gentile audience who didn't understand um, a lot of the things, you know, in some of the other Gospels and what they really meant. It was written for people like us to be able to fully understand the Gospel. So um, a lot of times I tell uh, people if they want to know, you know, a lot of times people say, well, Jesus doesn't claim to be God. Um and this is truly just a misunderstanding. Jesus claims to be God in every gospel out there um, and in very, very clear ways. It's just not clear to us. But remember, we weren't the audience for those, for those events. Pretty much if you, if you ever see um, a group of Pharisees mobilized to hurt or kill him, he's probably said something that equated himself to God. Um, and so if you look into that statement deeper, you'll see it. Uh, John just does a really great job here of selling it out for those of us who are undereducated, we'll say, in um, Hebrew understanding of the world and the way that they communicate, right? Okay. Are you ready to dive into – wow, you sound healthy. We both sound so healthy today. Are you ready to dive, dive into this gospel? Yeah, you had no idea. Did, did you learn anything new from this? Yes. What did you learn? That he didn't write John on. <laughs> well, again, that's my opinion. I don't know. But it, it, does, it, it doesn't make sense. That he probably didn't write John on. Since, yeah, since he, was, since he was moved through Patmos in 75 AD, um, since he was living in Ephesus during that time frame when it seems like the events of the day point to um, – point to its authorship. So after the destruction of the temple, before the destruction of the pool of Bethesda, or at least before the news of the destruction of the pool of Bethesda hits his ears. Um, And in response to the leadership of the churches of Ephesus in Asia, it seems to me that it was most likely written right around 70 AD while he was still living in Ephesus. So, um, that's what I'm going to go with. Someone can disagree with me. Totally okay. Uh, we can ask him when we get to heaven. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to head to a commercial break, and then we'll jump into our very first teaching, our first Bible study in the Gospel of John. Woo! We will see you soon. That's right. The Jokers and Jesters Comedy Tour is back on the road. We are currently promoting our second Amazon Prime special, Jokers and Jesters, the next special. We will be touring small towns across this great country of ours. So for our tour date, follow us on Facebook at Jokers and Jester Comedy Tour or at our website, jokersandjester.com. It's a great night of music, laughter, and magic. Don't miss us as we come to a small town near you. 
Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Food waste is one of the most easily solvable problems, literally the low-hanging fruit of environmentalism. Pardon the pun, it's my job. About 20% of all produce never makes it off the farm. It's because they just look a little funny, a little weird, but when you cut into it, it's perfectly good food. It's just a total shame. It's totally good stuff. We buy ugly produce directly from farms that often would go to waste because supermarkets won't buy it because of how it looks, and we deliver it to people's doors. This isn't that ugly at all. Like, that's the most common first box, like, complaint we get. We change that. We educate people. We show them how amazing these fruits and vegetables are. Have food delivered to your house. Box of produce every week. And it's more affordable. At a very reasonable price. Cheaper than the grocery store. I spend a lot less time in grocery stores. It's an adventure every time that you open your box. High-quality produce. There's nothing wrong with the produce. And they taste exactly the same. It's not better. Save those fruits and vegetables that get wasted every year. And it's delivered to your door, like, but what, why wouldn't you do? Why wouldn't you do? Please go to our website, freedomizerradio.live, and sign up for Imperfect Foods today. Use our promo code and get money off your first order. Go ahead and get some organic and all-natural meats, dairy, snacks, breads, and non-GMO produce. All right, so we're back. It's uh, Felicia with Dynamic Word Bible Studies. I'm your host. And then uh, I've got my amazing co-host. I'm Cross, the favorite disciple, I mean son. Right, right, right. He's he's brushing off his use of his word, the favorite, because we're going to hear about the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm the son that Jesus loved. I'm the son that mom loved. <laughs> the, son, the son that mom loved. She's my only son. Uh, <laughs> I still crack up about how um, the entire gospel never refers to himself by name. He always refers to himself as the one Jesus. The one Jesus loves. Um, and I think that I hope that after spending time with Jesus, we all feel that way, right? That we're the one that Jesus loves. But he apparently particularly feels that way. Uh, so we're going to open up in the Gospel of John, and um, we need to pull up the scripture, and we're going to start off if you're following with us in John chapter 1, and we're going to just start off right there in the beginning, uh, verses 1 through 5, which is um, just this powerful way that John opens up his gospel. Did you want to read that for us nice and loud? In the beginning was the word. No, no, no. Nice and clear, so everyone can hear you, bro. Uh, nice and loud. That's how they read it. No, no, just, just, just read it. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, this is a great section of scripture. 
so much fun as you start to dissect it. If the question that John meant to address was the identity of Jesus, he doesn't waste any time doing it. <coughs> I think we often talk about the Gospel of Mark being this, like, really active voice gospel where everything happens immediately. Immediately, Jesus gets up and does this, right? But it's really funny how John gets right to the point here. He doesn't waste a bunch of time trying to give you reasons behind what what he's saying. As a matter of fact, all the gospels all the gospels start with some sort of origin story of Jesus, right? Yep. Okay. So they start either with a birth line or with a birth story, right? They all show up on Jesus' birthday. Or they're going to tell you the story of um, Mary and Joseph's background so that you can see that he is Messiah. Matthew was really interesting because it showed how it fulfilled a prophecy uh, that he was from the line of Abraham, Judah, and David. So I thought that was really cool. Yes. So I do not know how I keep getting callers. I do have do not disturb that on my phone. So, um, so anyway... Interestingly enough, John really establishes things with an origin story about Jesus, too. But he doesn't start with his earthly heritage. He doesn't start with his birth line or even his birthday. He starts in the beginning. (laughs) And by in the beginning, he's not talking about in the beginning of Jesus' ministry or in the beginning of Jesus' life. He's talking about in, in the, the beginning, beginning of, of the, the universe. In, of the timeline <laughs> of this earth. That's what he's talking yes. about. Yes, so he jumps he, he, he jumps the shark, right? He goes Sounds right like into it. <laughs> yes. This is the four times. Yes, this is the four times has happened. When he's talking about in the beginning, he's talking about in the very beginning. Where are we going to start? Are we going to start on Jesus' birthday? Nah, nah, nah. Are you going to start on his father's birthright? Nah, nah, nah. We're going to start in the beginning, and that's where he starts. So the language is really reminiscent of the origin story that that Jewish people are going to be so familiar with, and that origin story we find in Genesis chapter 1. Um, we find in Genesis chapter oh. 1. <laughs> My boy here's slacking just a little bit. <laughs> and so he starts his narrative really before creation, and he does it in such a way that it should hearken to the heart and the ear and the mind of anyone who's at all familiar with the story of creation as laid out in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Interestingly enough, the exact same amount of verses here. Now, The the creation story just keeps going, okay? Um, Most people are familiar with it. So we're just going to kind of go over verses 1 through 5 because I think that the readers will know thereafter what has been said, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so why don't you go ahead with that? No, no, you read it, please. We don't want any copyright infringements. and That's like part of your job. You want me to read it? Okay, then you read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
Okay. So we're talking in the beginning. Um, this is the first time that John's going to explain to us a concept um, that, that we consider the Trinity, right? He starts referring to Jesus as the Word. I'm actually going to do a whole show on how pregnant that word is. It's got so much meaning and so much deep understanding that we often miss it. Um, but just as a quick overview here, in Genesis, the entire world is created through God's powerful word. As God spoke, his creative power changed the universe forever, um, bringing life into this void and formless world. The Bible specifies that the Holy Spirit is already present. So um, this functioning, this duality of God, uh, is something that is not new at all um, to the Hebrew mind because if you look in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, they already mention the Spirit of the Lord, right? Can, can you read that bit for us again? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. God the Father himself is not hovering over the waters, right? It's just the Spirit. So there's, so a lot of times I, I do often hear people say, well, Trinity is not in the Bible as a word, and it's not. But as a concept, we can start to see it sort of um, blooming and blossoming here, right? Okay. Um, so John was also not the only person to recognize um, Jesus' presence in, in creation. So before you start to think, well, John's just picking this out of midair, you know, how does he know that Jesus was present in creation? Well, let me just say that John's not the original person to think this. Although his full identity was not revealed until his incarnation on earth, we actually see Jesus represented in creation in one of the Proverbs, right? Okay, let me see which. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's the right one. Okay. So it's Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning where the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs flowing, overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or the fields, and he was the dust of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens in... Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> We gotta shake off the cobwebs, buddy. (laughs) I was there when he set the heavens in place. (coughs) When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the mountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters could not overstep its command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was full of delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole whole world and delighting in mankind. Hmm. Okay. What translation was that? NIV. Yeah. NIV? Okay. 
So um, my translation even actually calls him the master workman, okay? So the master craftsman, some translations will say. So clearly the master craftsman is is God's word, right? If we're familiar with our Genesis story, it's God speaking it into existence. So this is where John is marrying the concept here of this master craftsman, okay? We know who delighted in the presence of men. That was Jesus, right? He wanted to walk in the garden with us. He had the body to be able to do that and everything of that nature. And so so we know um, by reading that in retrospect, you know, that, that was clearly given as a prophecy. Okay, but in retrospect, we recognize that person as Jesus. And so John has taken the liberty to marry for us the concept of God's word and his master craftsman right. and saying, and, and you heard all the wonderful birth language there, right? Um, and so that's referring to Jesus as God's only son. begotten son, right? Okay. So he's, he's kind of taking the liberty to meld these three concepts together for the reader and saying, hey, guys, he was his only begotten son. He was present in the beginning. He was the master craftsman, and he was the word, this powerful creative force of God, all in one at the beginning, ever present and always existent as far as we're concerned, okay? Um, And so this is kind of the, the claim that John is making about Jesus and his identity right out the gate. So let's kind of break it down. He makes three claims about the unique identity of Christ, and these three claims are going to lay the foundation for his gospel and his testimony of Jesus moving forward. Okay? So the first claim that he makes is that Jesus is God. He doesn't make a claim that he's less than God. He doesn't make a claim that he is a God, but that he is part of the sacred Godhead, um, this unified Godhead that we have displayed throughout the entire Old Testament and Jewish tradition. If you have a charity. Yes. Again, that word wasn't, it wasn't available to us back then. Um, but let's check this out here. Um, when we look at Genesis a little bit closer, um, we notice some interesting language that happens. Um, because, of course, we know that um, the Hebrews did not believe in pluralism, okay? And so um, they did believe in one unified God. But uh, in Genesis 1.26, we have some interesting language. Do you want to read that for us? Yep. Oh, I love this verse. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the good ground. So this is an interesting conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes we do talk to ourselves. We don't always answer ourselves, right? Um, but sometimes we do talk to ourselves. And uh, I don't usually re- refer to ourselves plurally. I mean, some crazy people do. <laughs> I am crazy, but I'll refer to myself as a third person, not... Uh, right, in the third person singular, not the third person plural. Let us do this, right? Um 
and just, right. So it's it's an interesting dynamic there. Like, who's that talking to? Right? Um so what's the case <clears throat> the the case that we would make here based on what John's told us is that the us that he's talking to is the other members of the Trinity Godhead. Um so uh I, I particularly adhere to um a triune concept of God, which is that we have three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the begotten Son, but they are unified as one Godhead in purpose and mutually submitted to the plan of God the Father, okay? Um, but they are in such perfect unity that we refer to them as one God, okay? Um so while the word, word Trinity is not actually used in the Bible, clearly John is illustrating the concept. Um, he denies the concept of Jesus as a good teacher or a prophet. He clarifies that he is God. And, and we've seen this argument take place over time. In fact, um, I think that we can think of someone quite famous, who has um, really discussed this fully. Do you remember who in recent times has discussed this really fully? Can you think of anybody who's maybe C.S. Lewis? Oh, yeah, him. That's who I was thinking of, but I didn't think. <laughs> That's who he was thinking of. And so he does, he, he actually has this entire line of thought where he asks if, um, Jesus is a liar, a lord, or a lunatic, right? Oh, yeah. So um, this concept is definitely not dead. It did not go out in the first century after the writing of the Gospel of John. Um, it is still broadly spoken about today, you know, and and the the Bible, of course, specifies that, and this is, this is again, in the Gospel of John, um, where exactly in the, where in the Gospel of John? I'm going to say Gospel of John first uh, chapter. I want to say it is uh, the third verse, but I might be wrong. It talks about how he is with God and he was God. So just to make sure you didn't trip over his words, he wants to make Wait, sure. Oh, it's the first one? Okay. So he wants to make sure he's super clear. I'm going to make you read it. Um <laughs> He wants to make sure he's super clear. He doesn't want you to think, well, he was with God as a heavenly host. He doesn't want you to think he was around God at the time. He doesn't want you to think that he's some subsidiary demigod. He is being super clear. And so sometimes the opening of John's gospel can seem repetitive, but it's repetitive for purpose. So want to read that little bit again? Sure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Right. So it's like he's emphasizing, okay, wait, he was always there. He was with God, but he wasn't just with God. He was God. And, and he was there from the beginning. So don't think that here's the concept to me that it seems like he's emphasizing. He was ever existent with God. He wasn't less than God. He was God. 
And he was, and I feel like the reason he kind of loops back around and says he was always there from the beginning is somebody, so somebody doesn't say, well, yeah, I mean, he was there from the beginning of his life. Like he was born on the face of the planet and then he's begotten son of God. No, no. I said he was there in the beginning, right? So he emphasizes this. And like I said, to, to our ear, sometimes it just seems repetitive, but don't, don't discount what he's saying. Again, he's speaking directly to this heresy of people saying that he is this, this, you know, just uh, amazing, like, sin-free beast of a man that was born onto this planet Earth and that he manages to do the impossible, um, which, you know, kind of has a tendency to lead us back into um, a thought process that we could somehow earn God's favor by acting right. Because Jesus acted well, and he um, was was Jesus. So maybe if, if we could act right, um, and that's going to pull us right back into legalism, right, um, which is what John's trying to avoid. So so he's going, he, he's, he's doubling down on his claim so that you don't miss it. He was there in the beginning. He wasn't kind of like God. He was with God, but he wasn't kind of like God. He was God, and he was there from the beginning. His life didn't start with his birth. His life was everlasting from the beginning of the universe. Don't miss this, okay? So I really feel like he's doubling down on that claim, which is awesome, okay? Bro, he wasn't born. <laughs> right, right, right. And that gives me something to wrestle with, okay? Because now I've got to make these decisions about who Jesus was, but I don't get to make these decisions about a soft uh, man who just loved people and um, didn't sin. I now have to face the decision that is of eternal consequence that by rejecting him, I, I could potentially be rejecting God, right? Um, which moves us into a whole new land, right? The second thing that he's claiming is he says, in Jesus was life. Okay. Um, so Jesus brings to the earth the presence of God. This can be a really difficult concept for us to wrestle with because we never knew a time before there were Christians, right? Um, but remember um, that um, just re- remember thinking about uh, some of the some of the things that have gone on um, in in time here, okay? And we have um, the creation story. I always kind of, um, I will say this, is that when we were created, we were created for God's presence. We were created to be in God's presence. We were not created for a life beyond the Garden of Eden, okay? Um, And when we think of it in those sorts of terms, um, in a very real way, we were never intended to exist outside of his glorious presence. But that's all we really know. Um, once we get exiled from the Garden of Eden, the only place that you can find God's presence is in the the temple of the Lord, right? And then once the temple is destroyed and rebuilt, his 
presence never returns there. And so this is the first time where the presence of God walks back onto the scene of the earth where, for all intents and purposes, Satan's in charge, darkness reigns, and sin abounds. So to find (laughs) the holy presence of God is incredible, right? Um, So... um, Basically, this harkens back to that whole process of sin and death in the garden, that eternal separation that we've suffered. Jesus brings back with him the presence of God. And once he does that, we're going to find out, of course, later in the story that he makes that presence available to each one of us so that the presence of God, his Holy Spirit, can dwell inside of us. But... um, Imagine how challenging it would have been to live in a world before the presence of God was available to people and where darkness just reigned. Really tough place to be, right? Yeah. Um, So number three, darkness did not win. Okay? I Like, let's just sit in that for a minute. He's like, spoiler alert, I'm going to let you know right now, Jesus, who's the author of the universe, right, he, he creates this whole narrative and he walks out on stage. By the way, if you're ever in a play, Cross is getting ready to be in a play. Yep. Okay? If the author of the play ever walks out on the stage, do you know the state, that the play is over, right? Okay? It ends when the author walks out. And so this is this, this opening where the author's walking out on stage. He's letting you know. Like, the reign of darkness and terror is over. The author of the world and the universe walked out on stage. And the darkness, okay, it's as if the players in the play didn't recognize the playwright. They didn't know who he was. Right? I don't think the playwright for the uh, play I'm in could walk out. No, no, he couldn't. Really no, he couldn't. But if your production manager walks out, the play's still over, right? Okay. So John knows that most of his readers are familiar with the gospel as told by the other authors. He's making a further point here. While the other gospels focus on Jesus as a person, John expands our understanding of Jesus in the story. It wasn't just about Jesus, the man conquering death, signifying God's approval of Jesus as a person. It harkens back to that beginning of time and the story of sin and death of humanity. It, it harkens back to our story. Okay, the one we're involved in. And yes, Jesus conquered death, but he also conquered the darkness. He, he conquers Satan and the great forces of evil in our world, and, the conquest is, and, and he um, makes a conquest of sin in our lives. Jesus' resurrection was more than a personal victory, but it was this cosmic shift in the balance of power in the war for control of the universe. And John's point is that the shift ends up landing in Jesus' direction, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, because the darkness didn't overcome him. So we have just a couple, and and I want to thank people who have joined us. I see a couple people popping up on our chat. Thank you so much. Uh, Joy and Peace Outreach, it's good to see you guys. Um, So why does it matter that Jesus is God? Well, 
Who is asking this question? I was. <laughs> I was because, okay, so listen, listen, listen. When you're talking to people and, the, and they say, who is Jesus? And if you say Jesus was God and they go, I don't think he was God. Uh, there's a reason why we have this continued discussion as to why Jesus is God. Okay. The first reason why it matters, let's start with number one, is the covenant. Okay. He creates this new covenant. Now, Jesus fulfills all the old covenants, okay? He fulfills the covenant of Moses by not sinning. Um, He fulfills David's covenant. He fulfills all the Old Testament covenants. But then he creates this new covenant, and he does it by himself. Now, covenants are always between two parties, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, because he's both man and God, he gets to represent both sides of the covenant, because he's fully man and because he's God. So he represents God's interests and he also int- uh, uh, represents our interests. See? So does it matter? Yes. Yeah, because otherwise the covenant's void, right? Otherwise the covenant only applies to him. Okay? But, That's not good because he didn't live very long. Well, it's not even that. Like, he, he lives now, right? He was resurrected. But the problem he is... He wasn't here for very long. He wasn't here for very long. <laughs> But the, only, but the only reason why I'm allowed to participate in his life and death and resurrection is because I make him Lord. If I make him king of my life, I put him in charge of my life. Then I get to partake in his covenant, in his resurrection. Does that make sense? So does it matter that he's God? Mm-hmm. Totally, right? And it also matters that he's a favorite son. <laughs> it also... This is also really, really cool, too, is that it makes Jesus both the judge and the justifier, okay? Um, we actually find this concept from Paul in Romans 3.26, and what it means is that I can feel secure in my salvation. Did you want to read that verse for us? That's why I'm here. He did yeah. to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So it's just to be and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, so check this out. <laughs> that's what I say every time it's scouts when uh, they ask me if I want to pray out. I'm like, that, that's my job. That's my job. That's literally the reason why we're here. <laughs> so um, what's cool about this is that I can be really secure in my salvation. Like I think a lot of times when we're in our worst moments, we're like, am I even saved? Does God even like me? Right? I, I don't know if you've ever had a moment bad enough for, for that. Okay, who's nodding his head yet? Okay, so we've all had those bad moments where we're like, I don't even know if God likes me anymore. Um, right? Is he going to abandon me? Like, sometimes I'm deserving of being abandoned, okay? But here's what's great about it is we can be super secure in our salvation. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus covered the cost of our sins that we wouldn't have mental breakdown. Right, but it's it's not just that he covered the cost. Okay, so it's like this. It's like somebody comes up to you and says, listen, I know you're going before the judge today, okay, but I already paid the price, and the judge has guaranteed me that he will accept the payment that I've made on your behalf as payment in full for whatever crime you've committed. That would sound really great, and it might put you at ease going before the judge, right? Mm -hmm. But how does that conversation change when the person having the conversation with you is the judge? 
I'm like, hey, buddy, you forgot to mention that. Right. So when he looks at you, instead of just saying, hey, I had a talk with the judge, okay, he goes, wait, 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 wait. You need to know this, okay? The judge is prepared to accept my payment for your sin in full, okay, without question. And by the way, I'm the judge. So I'm not going to go back on my word. I already knew what was going to happen, and, it, and, and I'm not going back on it. Now how do you feel? Do you feel more secure in that moment where you're falling apart? Yes. Absolutely. And it's, you should fall apart when, when, you know, you sin. You should feel sorry for it. You should feel bad for it. You should feel like you need to do something to make up for it. But the fact of the matter is, is that at the very end of the day, we, we have a judge who is just, and we have a judge who is the justifier of of our faith. And so we know that he's going to accept that. Um, number three, my response to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes a much more pressing issue because he's God. I can't just kick that can down the road and go, oh, I'll figure that out maybe a little later. Um, you know, if we really believe that Jesus is God, then it dictates a whole different way of treating him, a whole different way of approaching God, right? Um, and then finally, I must abandon all of my ability to be righteous on my own. If it literally took God to do it right, if he was literally the only guy who could go without sin, do I have any hope of being able to reconcile myself to God through my own righteous actions? No. No, there's just no way for that to happen, Right. Um, and so it, it brings me to a different point of abandon to God and his plan, um, that, in fact, what Jesus said about himself, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, um, absolutely brings you to a point of kneeling before the cross in recognition of the full truth of that. So that. It's our Bible study for today. What did you think? Woo! Sequel. That was fun, right? Well, I think we'll have a sequel. <laughs> no, a lot of book to cover still. Well, I mean, we've got a lot of book to cover still, and I'm still probably going to be in the same first couple of verses uh, next week when we talk about Jesus being the Word. Um, but for right now, let's go ahead and cut to commercial break, and we will be back after this. Bye. Food waste is one of the most easily solvable problems, literally the low-hanging fruit of environmentalism. Pardon the pun, it's my job. About 20% of all produce never makes it off the farm. It's because they just look a little funny, a little weird, but when you cut into it, it's perfectly good food. It's just a total shame. It's totally good stuff. We buy ugly produce directly from farms that often would go to waste because supermarkets won't buy it because of how it looks, and we deliver it to people's doors. I didn't know that there was beauty standards for an apple. This isn't that ugly at all. Like, that's the most common first box, like, complaint we get. We change that. We educate people. We show them how amazing these fruits and vegetables are. Have food delivered to your house. Box of produce every week. And it's more affordable. At a very reasonable price. Cheaper than the grocery store. I spend a lot less time in grocery stores. It's an adventure every time that you open your box. High quality produce. There's nothing wrong with the produce. 
and they taste exactly the same, if not better. Save those fruits and vegetables that get wasted every year. And it's delivered to your door like, but what, why wouldn't you do? Why wouldn't you do? Please go to our website, freedomizerradio.live, and sign up for Imperfect Foods today. Use our promo code and get money off your first order. Go ahead and get some organic and all-natural meats, dairy, snacks, breads, and non-GMO produce. We all know that times are tough and things are really expensive right now. So why not save a little bit of your wallet as well as the landfill? Marty.com carries high-quality products at low, low prices, sometimes up to 70% off of retail. I just got a wonderful package of beef jerky for one cent sent to my house through Marty.com. Marty.com offers high-quality products at discount prices. Why? Well, sometimes products are seasonal or overstocked or packaging just changes. It's still great quality food, but it's going to end up in the landfill if we don't find some way to distribute it. And leave that to Marty.com. Now, if you want to save a little extra today, you can get $20 off your first order by going to our Facebook group for Dynamic Word Bible Studies and picking up a discount code there. So check out Dynamic Word Bible Studies at Facebook and find Marty.com on our comments. You'll be able to get this free discount code. It's going to give you $20 off, and it's also a great way to support our show and to keep those landfills light, and to save some money in your wallet. And I'm all about saving money. So check out Marty.com. Just as ungrounded signals wreak havoc on radio communications, there's growing concern that because we are not grounded, we absorb tremendous amounts of electromagnetic radiation from our modern devices. EMF stands for electromagnetic field. We are all immersed in electromagnetic fields from Wi-Fi, from the wiring in our homes, and it disturbs our electrical balance. We get charged. Inside of our bodies, we get electrically charged. Some people have as much as 20 volts on their bodies, and that's not good for you. The information is provided for general informational purposes only. The contents are not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Ground Therapy Incorporated makes no representations about the efficiency, appropriateness, or suitability of any specific tests, procedures, treatments, services, opinions, healthcare providers, or other information that may be contained in or available through the information provided. All right. Well, welcome back to Dynamic Word Bible Studies. This welcome back. Felicia DeRoser, my co-host. Cross, the favorite, the one who mom loved. Oh, wow. The one that mom loves. One of the sons of thunder. I mean, really? You know why they didn't let them rain down lightning in this uh, chosen episode, right? Because they were the sons of thunder, not the sons of lightning. They were the sons of thunder, not the sons of lightning. Anyways. Um, okay, so anyway. <clears throat> Time for our Q&A. Yeah. Okay, and this is a time when you can call in. Pointed Q&A. Uh, let's go ahead and give them the guest call-in number. It's 319-527-6208. Didn't hear me? That's 319-527-6208. Press 1 if you want to talk to us. That's right. And so we're going to talk. We also have a chat room open. Yeah, chat. Seen a couple people in and out of the chat. So if you want to answer a question, I'm happy to read it live for you. So let's start with number one. 
If someone asked you who Jesus was, what would you say? Oh, wow. Um, Mom, I think you have a lot to say on this topic. I've been talking about this topic all hour, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's really important. Of course, we live in the um, in the southwestern part of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so here in Nevada, which for people who are out of state is not pronounced Nevada. It's Nevada. 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 <laughs> I sent mom like 20 memes on this. <laughs> so, so there's like there there is definitely this um, large large group of folks who would claim that Jesus was not God, right? Definitely. Um, and so I think that it's really important that we're able to describe Jesus as God. Number one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was kind of the whole point of the study. So Jesus is God. God. He's God. Um, and he's obviously the unique son of God, right? Um, all the things that we kind of talked about today. Uh, Cross, did you learn anything new about who Jesus was today? Um seems crazy to me that... It seems crazy to you what? That... I don't know. That you don't know? <laughs> um, I mean, for me, it was all it, it was all information that I kind of was familiar with, uh, just because I'm already pretty familiar with the Gospel of John. Um, I think the earth-shattering part about it for the people reading the Gospel for the first time it would have been that revelation of, Jesus being there in the beginning and him being the word, that, that creative force of God. Um, right, 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 right. That was the world shattering. So um, that representation of John as Jesus, as the um, powerful begotten son of God, there from the beginning of time, there for the creation, um, and, and this powerful force within the creation. Um, this Q&A is going too fast. you got to speak up there, buddy. <laughs> so was there anything that you felt like you were like, wow, maybe I got some more insight in this about Jesus or whatever? Nope. Um, I think that one of the things that I kind of understood more, I think, from this Bible study as well, was knowing John's purpose in writing the gospel really lays out for me why it was written so differently than the synoptic gospels. And I think that that was really important for me to understand and to know um, is why it's so different. Um, of all the things that John would have seen and heard walking with Jesus, I wrote this question and I didn't take any time to think about this. Now I'm really going to have to think. Okay. Of all, <laughs> this is terrible, right? Of all the things that John would have seen and heard walking with Jesus, what is one that you wish that you had been there for? Uh, you know, um, probably, probably, like, the resurrection, not the crucifixion <laughs> part, because that was, like, really bad. the resurrection, or the ascension, ooh, the ascension. Wait, that's an axe. My bad. No, about... 
I think it's in John 2. I don't know. We'll find out. But resurrection. Res- resurrection. Okay, so you hit the, 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 the big nail on the head. Why? Why? Why would you? Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> There's this whole inner turmoil going on right now where I told him to make sure he speaks into the mic. <laughs> so he can be heard, and now he's being a smart aleck. <laughs> no, he's stubbing my face in the mic. I'm going to cry. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is too much trust for me this morning. No. Uh, just because just cause, um, I think it would have been cool to, um, like, just see that he wasn't there, and then be like somebody stole his body. I don't think I can come up with a better answer than the resurrection. Like that's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's that is definitely a pretty good one, the resurrection. Yeah, mic drop. Uh you gave the best answer already and I can't top that. Um yeah, I mean it kinda is the ultimate like prove up this that that your God thing. Um that that would be the ultimate I'm not gonna lie. I think the ascension would be cool too, though. I would agree. I like the ascension. Yeah. Um. Yeah. To see a bunch of dudes just staring at the sky. Right. Right. They have to ice their necks after that. You know, <laughs> or when they go on the mountain and they see Jesus transform. Oh, transfiguration. Transfiguration oh. would be really cool. Um, that would, that would be an awesome one. I mean, as far as miracles are concerned, I'd love to see him raise the dead. Um, watching Lazarus raised from the dead would have been awesome. Oh, that, 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 uh, right. That, that would have been a whole thing too, but. Oh, the problem of all the things, Martha's like, do what you got, Steve, what's wrong? <laughs> Please don't do that to my brother. Right now he smells bad. It's like, you're Point seriously concerned about this. I mean, I'm pretty sure it would be really that. And, you know, nobody wants to be embarrassed after, you know. You know, she's trying to preserve her her brother's dignity, and I get it. That was, you know, kind of her. But, um, but yeah, like, there's a lot of them that would be really, really cool, the transfiguration, the ascension. But I think you probably hit the nail on the head. The resurrection is, like, the ultimate. You know, if if you want to to for sure see that moment when it's, like, there there are – it removes all doubt. You know, that would be it. Um, how does – this is our last question. So we might end a little bit early today because we didn't have a guest. Um, so let's go for this one here. How does understanding Jesus' unique identity of being both man and fully God demand a deeper response from us? I think that the way it demands a deeper response from us is that with his identity being as unique as it is, we can't just kick it down the can, kick the can down the road for another day and be like, hey, you know, I'll figure this out some other time. Um, You know, maybe at some point I will, you know, have, have a better opinion, a deeper opinion on, you know, whether or not Jesus was really you know, whether or not he was telling the truth about this or that or the other. If Jesus was really, really 
God and and really man and created the new covenant. First of all, he's in a position to know whether the Old Testament was real or not. Um, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in all that Old Testament stuff. Well, Jesus, if he was God, is in this unique position to know whether or not the things that happened in the Old Testament really happened. Um, and because of this unique position, I think that kind of forces us to have to go, okay, then I, then I am accepting the Old Testament as legitimate because Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't um, skip around the creation story or Noah's Ark or Cain and Abel or, um, you know, any of the Old Testament stories. He doesn't go, well, that one wasn't quite accurate. Like, he doesn't do that. And, and that's like the Bible that Jesus would have read in the temple, right? And so if it was false, I think that he would have said so. Um, but he makes reference to the Old Testament and even to Enoch, to um, all all different things in the Old Testament. So I think that we have to accept the Bible as a whole based on Jesus being who he said he was, being both God and man, uh, being in a position to really know what happened in history. Um, I agree with all that. <laughs> And I think that it also moves us to decide whether or not we're going to um, make Jesus our Lord and allow him to be in charge of our lives moving forward. So um, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, did you want to pray us out? Because I think we're all done for this week. Next week? Sure. Okay. So next week we'll be coming uh, back. We have a guest. Um, she's going to be sharing her testimony. We'll be talking about Jesus as the Word of God, and um, because that's just a unique title that only John gives him, and we want to kind of deep dive and investigate that. And we are looking forward to seeing you then, right? Yep. Okay, let's pray out. I thought, Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you did for us. Uh, thank you for this wonderful Bible study that we had today. We hope that uh, we can have less trouble discerning your word and uh, knowing you and obeying your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for this very first broadcast of the Gospel of John Bible study. The sequel. The sequel. We'll be back next week with a guest testimony, some new questions, and some new insight on Jesus as God's word. And uh, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.